Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Those statements are pretty well direct. Am am I not an apostle? Am I not a free man? Have I not seen Jesus face to face? Are you not the direct result of my ministry? He's asking this church that should have known these things. They should have understood these things. These questions should have never even had to come to the surface, and yet Paul finds himself, and I believe, yes, frustrated with them. In today's message, Pastor David teaches about Paul's message to the Corinthians regarding their support for his ministry. Paul was instrumental in starting the church in Corinth because he preached the gospel there and introduced them to Jesus Christ. Some in the church were complaining about Paul's need for financial support. The Bible, however, teaches that the priests who facilitated worship for the people received support for their God-given vocation. How can you support your church today? Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Muzzled Oxen. times when, I guess you could say, frustration and arrogance get on a path for a head-on collision. And whenever frustration of a situation and somebody else with great arrogance and thinking that they know what the deal is, they're coming together, that head-on collision is not a very pretty one. And we're going to see that a little bit this evening here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We can almost hear the frustration of the Apostle Paul as he continues to deal with some of the arrogance of the believers there in Corinth. Here, this body of believers, again, they should have grown, they should have become more mature as believers, but even as he says back in chapter 3, brethren, I can't even speak to you as spiritual people. I've got to speak to you like babies. And it's kind of like that kind of a feel of the situation. And as I've been studying 1 Corinthians, probably for the first time in a long time that, that I've looked at it in this way, it just seems like the frustration of Paul has, has really come to the service, surface as he's dealing with these people. He was the one that founded the church. Probably most of them came to Christ under his ministry. Surely many others had come to Christ in the time of his absence. But yet, this, this was a special church to him in his heart. And he's wondering, why, why am I having to continually experience explain these things again. Uh, It's possibly, like I said, maybe it was mostly men, and you just need to keep repeating that stuff to us anyway because we forget. But uh, if you think that mature believers and uh, ministry leaders never get frustrated, then you're 
Probably neither, okay? Because a lot of times the same kind of situation comes into play. You know, you understand, you've tried to explain the truth to individuals, groups, or whatever, and it seems like, wow, they, they're just not getting it. How plain can I make it? And that's where I see Paul at right here. Frustration can be a common occurrence within a leader's life. The big issue is, how do you handle it? How do you handle the frustration? Well, here, Paul is hitting it head on. He's asking some very pointed questions. Now, he could have given up on these folks. He could have just gone, you know what? Forget about it. I'm, I'm out of here. And that's one of the reasons a lot of pastors' ministries only go for about 36 months or so. You know, they go about three years, and then they're out of there. Just, just, again, lack of patience, lack of understanding, or the inability to be able to really connect with what's going on. But Paul knew that he had to deal with these issues in that straightforward way. He had to speak the truth, but he had to speak it in love, and he understands that. And he has to do that in order that this church here in Corinth would continue to grow in maturity, continue to grow in their understandings, that they'd get out of their babyhood, if you would, and start becoming mature believers. So apparently there continued to be this question about Paul's authority because he's hit that from the very beginning of this book, and we're going to look at it again here in chapter 9. Along with that question of his authority, there's also seems to be this question of expected uh, financial support. As Paul begins this particular portion of his writing, he sets out with four questions. His expected response from the church was pretty simple. He expected them to confirm the truth of each one of these statements, not to debate them. He's he's not asking these things, well, I'm just going to throw this out for a debate here. No, he's saying this as what they call like an editorial question. I don't expect you to answer except to give me a positive yes reply on this. Look at what he says here in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 1. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not you my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Those statements are pretty well direct. Am am I not an apostle? Am I not a free man? Have I not seen Jesus face to face? Are you not the direct result of my ministry? He's asking this church that should have known these things. They should have understood these things. These questions should have never even had to come to the surface. And yet Paul finds himself, and I believe, yes, frustrated with them because of either the denseness or the arrogance. And I believe in the context of what we see here in 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of arrogance Because again, there's a lot of pride that was going on in there, and and Paul's been dealing with this. I, I love how the Phillips translation puts these questions. He says, is there any doubt that I am a genuine messenger? Any doubt that I'm a free man? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Are you not yourselves samples of my work for the Lord? I mean, even if other people should refuse to recognize my divine commission, yet to you, at any rate, I shall always be a true messenger, for you are a living proof of God's call to me. That's what Paul is trying to, again, bring them back to that understanding. 
The standing of his apostleship is, is seen in all of these questions. His calling as an apostle, it wasn't a calling by man. It wasn't that the, uh, again, as the disciples had gathered after Judas had hung himself there in the upper room and they took lots and they called someone to take Judas's place. That wasn't how Paul became a, an apostle. Paul became an apostle not by the will of man, but by the will of God. God called him particularly to that ministry. Remember, he had seen the Lord. The Lord spoke directly with him there on that Damascus road. Again, his calling was further verified when Ananias was sent by the Lord to go and speak to Paul and tell him that he was a chosen vessel of the Lord's to to bear the Lord's name before the Gentiles and before kings and before the children of Israel. Paul knew that the Lord had called him for that purpose and with that kind of authority. But in the arrogance of these Corinthians here, he has to restate his calling and his authority actually all through the book. And when you think particularly about that church at Corinth, Paul definitely had great authority. He founded the church. He brought literally Christianity to Corinth. It's not like just coming into an area and many Christians come together and and make up a church. No, he brought Christianity to an area that the Christian message hadn't been declared before. And so men and women and young people coming to faith and in their coming to the faith, they added to the church. So Paul was very, very intimately acquainted and connected with the spiritual growth of so many of these. Now, granted, As I said before, there were others who had come to faith since Paul had left there, but still those that were originally there, they should have been the ones that were championing Paul's cause. Hey, no, this is is Paul. Hush up and listen to him. You know, he he is called. He's, He's the apostle of the Lord. He's the one that started this church. The original ones ought to be the ones who have stood up for him. But yet, it seemed like even the original ones, they had gotten caught up with these cliques and these different things. Again, the, the Corinthians, they were the seal of his apostleship in the Lord. Now, no doubt, again, as these others had come in, they might not have known Paul. They might not have had much of a connection with him. But again, his position, his authority was well set by what had taken place in the past. Not only was there some question about his authority that he's dealing with here, But real quickly, we're going to see that there's questions in reference to his ministry style or to the support of his ministry. It appears, again, that they're questioning everything about the apostle. And so he continued on with these questions. If we take this next section as a whole, beginning in verse 3 and and moving on from there, I, I think that that's the way that it ought to go. It goes in the context. It goes in the flow of what he's writing here. Paul is primarily speaking in each one of these next few questions about this idea of financial support that the church should have shown him and Barnabas when they're there. Listen to the flow of the thought here, beginning in verse 3. He says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Now, some believe when they look at this, they think, well, that idea of eating and drinking, that actually goes to that previous chapter when he's talking about eating food that had been given to idols. But I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that in the context of the flow of what he's speaking about here, he's saying, look, don't we have the right 
to receive from the church at least enough support to make, the, make our ends meet, to, to at least be able to survive, to eat and, and to drink, to, to understand that in, in what's going on. Added to that, maybe the expense of even having a wife. Now, to the best of our knowledge, uh, neither Paul nor Barnabas were married, so that wasn't really the issue. But Paul was saying, we should have been supported in such a way that we, just like the other apostles, could have brought a wife with us, but they hadn't even received that at all. It should have been their own choice, not simply because they couldn't afford to have a wife or a family and do ministry at the same time. Now, there's a lot of, uh, I think, pastors and in ministries that, man, it gets to be a real struggle. I understand that. Some believe that ministers uh, need to live on an absolute starvation wage. I remember my first full-time ministry job. It was at a church up in Las Vegas, and talk about starvation wage. Uh, uh, Todd and I had been married about a year and a half or so. We had a new baby with us, and Todd swears it's one amount that they gave us per week. I didn't think it was quite that little. I thought it was a little bit more. But I know that we were struggling, I mean, in every way possible. There's just no way that we were making the ends meet. And I went and talked to the uh, chairman of the financial committee, and I said, look, we're, we're not making it here. We, we're just Now, granted, I, I hadn't even finished college yet. I was like 20, 21 years old, and, but they called us there, okay? They called us to come and be on staff full time. And I said, we're just not making it with what we're being paid. We had no idea how expensive it was in Vegas as compared to Phoenix when we said yes. And, you know, the audacity of that guy, he's a nice guy, love him, but he was a banker by trade. And uh, he said, well, David, we don't want to pay you any more because we don't want to price you out of any future ministry positions you might get. And I thought... Okay, that makes absolutely no sense to me, but that was his idea. Uh, get them as cheap as you can and run them to death. Some, some people's attitude is that. And I can understand if a church is small, if a church is struggling, they're not able to afford to pay the pastor a full-time salary. At that point, the pastor is either a lay pastor or a bivocational pastor. Understand that. But if the local church is able, they should provide for the support of the pastors and other needed staff as they minister to the local body. The first 10 years, Years that we were here at Calvary of Casa Grande. We planted this church, and I worked full-time in the construction trades for the first 10 years, and was, in essence, uh, maybe I got a little bit of a stipend from the church, but not much. After the first 10 years, I, I went about half and half. I was still working construction and also ministering and pastoring. It wasn't until after the 15-year mark that the church actually got big enough and financially stable enough and we got brave enough or faithful enough to go ahead and let go of the uh, construction job, hang my tools on the shelf and, and come in because the need of the church had gotten more as well as the stability of the church was there and able to do it. And even in those beginning deals, it was, it was still a struggle financially, a struggle for the church, a struggle for us, but we desired and we needed to be available in the ministry. It was our heart's desire, and so we worked through it, and through the years, God has shown himself faithful in so many ways over and over and over, both in the church as well as in the staff. And now, not only do we have three full-time pastors, but we have also part-time staff here, and you can trust me on this, none of your staff are overpaid, okay? None of your staff are overpaid. 
It's so sad, though, when, when the main thought about pastoral salaries moves to those guys and gals, those ministry leaders that abuse the rights that they have. They, they're literally robbing from their congregations and ministries in order to be able to maintain some kind of a lavish lifestyle, expecting or even demanding that the uh, church, that the ministry support them in a way that's well beyond the average income of their congregation even, uh, again, so that they can see and and demonstrate, uh, at least in some external way, how good God is to them because they're serving him in such a way. I believe that that actually saddens the heart of God. And I do believe that those leaders that are that way, they're going to be held accountable before God for, again, the abuse of the sheep, the ravaging of the sheep, and, and as well as just the demonstration that they have of what the Word of God declares. And yet, biblically, it's only right that the church financially support those that minister to the congregation and even those that are on as support staff, allowing that the work of the ministry to continue on and, yes, for the ministry to continue to expand. Paul's very clear about this as he continues on. Look at verse 7 here. In verse 7, whoever goes to war at his own expense... Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? It's interesting. There's some churches, they take great pride in the fact of we don't have any paid ministers, you know, in our denomination or in our church. And yet the Bible speaks totally different about that, both Old Testament as well as new. It's very interesting how uh, we see over and over again, again, how the support needs to be in order that those who are put in that position of ministering to the body can spend the time necessary in the study of the word and in prayer and in ministry to the body. Now, Paul brings out some very uh, easy understood illustrations. Again, he's bringing it right down, down to ground level for these guys to be able to understand it. If a state or a nation needs soldiers and the soldiers come in and they send them off to war, well, the soldiers can't stop every afternoon and say, hey, look, I got to go to my job now so I can earn enough to be able to eat and take care of my family. That'd be ridiculous. It'd be absolute catastrophe in the middle of the war. You know, you're, you're in a great firefight here and say, oh, wait a minute, you know, it's three o'clock. I'm supposed to clock in at my job at 3.30, I'll see you guys later, and they leave. No. He says if they're involved, there's no soldier, uh, again, goes on his own wages or, or at his own expense. To be distracted by that, man, again, total catastrophe. If an individual plants or cares for a vineyard, they should be able to reap the benefits of the vineyard. If someone were tasked with that care of the vineyard, knowing that he'd never be able to partake of its fruit, how much interest do you think they would have in really caring for that vineyard? I don't, I don't get to reap any of the benefits of this thing. I don't think they'd have a whole lot of care. And again, with the understanding that, hey, you take care of this vineyard, you'll be able to, again, be blessed. You'll reap some of the benefits. Now, that's a whole different mindset then. It's a whole different care and design. If, if you're not going to be able to reap anything from it, there wouldn't be any extra effort. There, there'd be no real true concern of the fruitfulness of that vineyard. It would just be a job. Unfortunately, too many ministries today are just jobs rather than a real calling in their life. 
Paul also speaks about taking care of livestock, most, most likely sheep, those who spend those sleepless nights, those that stay out in foul weather, those that fight off the predators, those that put themselves in harm's way for this flock should expect to be able to at least enjoy fresh milk from the sheep. Otherwise, I think it would be like, uh, forget about it. You know, this, this job just is not worth it. They're not getting any of the benefit out of it. Paul wants them to know that Although the very human nature, this, this human logic calls for the church to support its ministers, there's actually also a, a very strong directive from God's word through the words of Moses. Verse 8, he says, Do I say these things as a, as a mere man or with human logic? Or does not the law say the same also? For it's written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Every time I read this, I think, okay, he's calling all of us ministers oxen, but uh, I got over it. Okay. He says, is it really oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? I look at this and I understand that Paul is bringing, again, a very, a very logical, clear way to be able to understand. He draws from Deuteronomy chapter 25. He uses the same example later when he writes to Timothy. And once again, and, and as he's writing to Timothy, he writes about monetary support of those that are in the ministry. He writes in 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning of verse 17, he says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, some might say, well, yeah, we, we really appreciate those guys. We, we honor them. That's good. But he's very particular here. He goes on so you don't miss the point. In verse 18, still in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. I think Paul is absolutely clear in this. And some people, again, get so bent out of shape and think that it's wrong. It's wrong, number one, for those in ministry to receive any kind of monetary support unless it's just a a bare stipend to be able to survive. And it's absolutely wrong should you speak about it. And yet Paul spoke about it quite a bit. He, again, wanted the church to know that it's through the support of the ministry is where the church is actually going to thrive and grow because then the ministers are able to do what they're gifted and called to do rather than going out and trying to make a living otherwise. He states a very similar thing again in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. He says, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So we see here that the idea of financial support of those ministering to the flock has a very biblical foundation. Even Jesus, as we've gone through Luke, we've seen a couple of times that he sent his disciples out. And do you remember each time that he sent his disciples out, he said, look, don't don't take a purse. Don't take an extra cloak. Don't take anything. In essence, to the people that you minister to, let them take care of you. 
you stay at their house. You eat whatever is set before you with that understanding. That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share with you how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit TheOpenWord.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We are thankful you've listened to today's message, but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, we'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Here's Pastor David with more information. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande for a time of worship and fellowship and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning and on Wednesday and Saturday evenings at 6.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.